Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, it's Asha. Just a warning that this episode contains references to the mosque attacks of March 15, 2019. Some of the material could be disturbing to some people. This can be hard stuff. If you need to talk to a trained counsellor, just ring 1737. and flows like the tides. It changes pace and purpose. Sometimes time can be cruel, yet often it heals. It's been one year since our widows lost their husbands in a massacre which lasted only a few minutes at Al Nur Masjid and Christchurch. As the months turn into a year, as their children grow and the seasons change, we ask our four widows, has the passing of time helped with their healing? Over the years ahead, how will they keep the memories of their husbands alive? Or is it something else, not time, that leads them forward on their healing journeys? I'm Asha Abdi. This is the seventh of eight episodes of Widows of Shuhada. We've been walking alongside our widows for six months, from September 2019 to now, late February 2020. As we approach the one-year anniversary of the March 15th attacks, we find Mahubba Ali Jama. Hamima Tuyan, Farah Talal and Sanjida Jamaniha in very different places from when we first met them. Hello, welcome. Wassalamualaikum. Alaikum salam. Your house, yes. Oh, it's so into a spacious home that's big enough for her family without the crowdedness and noise of the old cramped house that made it very hard for her to cope. Yes, I'm happy. Very good, quiet. Never very good. They're welcome. they never. Farah is making plans to return to Christchurch from Jordan. Plans that will bring her and her daughter Aya back to a different life from what she and her husband Atta had dreamed together. I get that privilege of spending some time at my parents' house. Just try to focus and, and see where I'm going to gather myself and my, the pieces and just try to, to start. Hamima is getting ready to return to Christchurch too, but only for another quick visit from Singapore. She will be one of the speakers at the Hagley Park Memorial Service on March 15th, 2020. And Niha is able to have a lot more independence now that her mother and brother have come from Bangladesh to help out with Noor. I know little, little English, so I wanted to 
improve my English and I need a job for my future to some care my baby, the good life. We're on the third floor of a large building on a campus in Christchurch. There are international students streaming out of more than a dozen classrooms, young men with backpacks on and women of every age using their phones. Every faith and continent of the world represented. It's an English language school. Niha started class here two weeks ago. If full time, the class is six months, the part time, the class is one year. On some comfortable couches in the community room, students eat their lunches, talk enthusiastically in a lot of different languages, and stare at their phone screens. Niha fits right in. Five minutes. Sometimes I'm going to the Europe. Hello. This is the first time that we haven't used our interpreter Alka to catch up with Niha. We're pretty excited about this. It's a big step forward for Niha. And it's also the first time that we've seen Niha without Nord. Nani, grandma, is looking after her while Niha studies. Baby is good. Nord is seven months. No sitting, just little, little sitting. When I'm going to the home, then she just look up me and she's like, oh, oh, it's like, mom is happy to look after a baby because baby no crying, just smiling. Playing. And her 13-year-old brother is settling in too. Brothers feeling New Zealand is good. Lot of activities, going to the picnic, improve the English. And our neighbour also her friends, him, his friends. Niha is starting the long process of applying for a permanent residence visa for her mum and brother to stay, so that they can continue supporting her. But I want to prove my mum stay in the permanent, because I need her help. So everything seems to be heading in the right direction for our youngest widow of Shuhada, at least on the surface. Sometimes when I close my eyes, I'm just, I just see the in my past. When Niha looks back, even she is amazed at all the challenges and changes she's had to face. This was happening, this was happening, then I'm just coming. Then community problem, then come out the community, go to the, my sister's house. Then again, my visas category, just tension, tension. I get my residency. Then start driving class, start school, just improve life, improve, improve. Then thinking, Farooq is no more. Omar Farooq, Niha's husband. She's just always called him Farooq. I never got angry with Farooq. Because if I angry or fighting Farooq, I don't want this. Always talking in the video call. I love this the video call. But now, one year, I don't talk to Farooq. So, as Niha reflects on the past year, full of change, intention and progress. She misses her husband and now she faces a fight with her mother-in-law. This has to do with the victim support money that Niha received. Then my mother-in-law, she called me and said, Neha, yeah, don't talk to me. I don't know why I already sent the money. Again, I am bad. People said bad character. 
Neha has experienced more in 10 months than what most of us will experience in an entire lifetime. The death of a spouse, arriving in a foreign country alone only months before giving birth to a first child, moving house twice, learning a new language, learning to drive, settling her mother and brother into the Kiwi way of life. It really is incredible what she's accomplished in under a year, even as she grieves and raises Nord. When I'm coming to New Zealand, I have nothing, I have nothing. No house, no money, no clothes also, you know. When I'm coming to New Zealand, just five clothes in the dress, five dress and five burka bring in the New Zealand. 30 kilo you bring, but I am 13 kilo, just clothes, nothing. But now I have everything. You know, in this age, I do everything. I have a widow, then many tension, baby, family. In some ways, the year has raced by with so much happening, but in other ways, it has dragged on. Yeah, I smiley. I'm always, this is good. Yeah, hello, hi. But in the inside, I'm just feeling it's hard for me. Over the past six months since we've been meeting with Neha, even when she, say, is not having a good day or is really tired from being a new breastfeeding mother, she always seems kind of buoyant and ready for the next thing. She always manages a smile and a hug. She has a lot of energy. In a way, she's kind of always okay. But we all know people like this. People who seem to just sort of cruise along through life's challenges. And then one day we find out, in one way or another. I am a lady, my age is 20 years old, too much fighting. I do the fight in my family, fight in the community. I'm just feeling happy when I'm just coming to class. Because the whole time, my construction is just study. No thinking the past. And there's this accumulation of stress in Niha's life. Stress about her future, about money, about raising a child alone in a foreign country. Sometimes it's all too much. I have no rest time. No rest time. If everything is closed, as a weekend day, but my tension is working, so I have no worries. <laughs> like Farah and Hamima, Niha tries to put on a brave, happier face for her child. For Nord. I am thinking, if my face is always happy, happy, then look, uh, no looking my face is always happy, then she, her feeling is good. If I'm always crying, then she also always crying, I'm thinking. This is hard for us, but people don't understand about our feelings. They are thinking they have everything, they have house, they have family, they have... But most of the part of our life, our husband is lost. Sometimes I'm saying, when they lost their husband, then they understand our pain.
Definitely, um, things have shifted. This is Hamima on a call from Singapore. But I believe that it's not time that has helped to heal me. But what one does that heals all wounds, you know, a lot of well-meaning people will tell you time heals all wounds. But I've always believed that it's not time. It's what we do in the given time, in the time that Allah has given us left to experience life. What have we done with it to help ourselves heal? Healing, I think, is an active process. It's not a passive thing where you just go and rest and hide and you know, and and I take a lot of my guidance and my lead from my maker, and, and that can be found in the Quran for me. It's my medicine, it's my therapy. And in the Quran, he advises us to remember him always, to supplicate to him, to give to charity, to increase our good work, you know, and to recite the Quran a lot. There are a lot of stories about from the prophets and the, the lives of the prophets that, you know, if we take heed from that, we will find consolation and we will find patience and perseverance. I feel like the only person, the only one that I should talk to is God. So I spend a lot of time with my forehead on the mat, talking to him, invoking him, complaining to him, being thankful to him, because he's the only one that can help me. And he has helped. So when I'm out and I'm, I'm with others, and I do that in the morning, we have five different times of prayers. Can you believe that? Five different times of the day, well spread out throughout the day when I put my forehead on the ground and I communicate with my God. So I keep telling myself, you know, the heavier the burden is in your heart and mind, the longer your forehead stays on the prayer mat. This notion, this idea that prayer is a central part of healing is a common teaching in Islam. Um, I only unburden to him because he is my creator and only he can help me. Friends and families, they can only listen, but really they cannot do more than what my creator can. And uh, he says in the Quran that he is closer to me than my juggler veins. So that's one of the things that has helped me really. And I found that I have been able to um, do a lot of things while I while I hid in my cocoon. <laughs> I feel I am able to fly stronger, and perhaps in my interactions with others, I feel that um, perhaps I have um, been able to move forward faster than than others. I feel the other thing that has helped that has started it for me, I think, was... Hajj is the journey to Mecca that all Muslims are expected to take at least once in their lives. Hamima was one of the 200 Kiwi Muslims that went to Saudi Arabia after the attacks as guests of the king. So I don't feel like the connotation that I hear from people is that the longer you take to heal the more you love the one that, that left you, the more you were grieving, the harder the hurt was for you. I don't buy that. I feel like, I feel for me, it's about what you did to yourself in the process of healing with the help of, of God, with the help of your spirituality. 
So for some people, yes, it may be t- it may take three years, but that doesn't mean that they they hurt um, more than me. For some people, it might take three months, but they have hurt a lot. But they have gone through it because they have actively tried to heal themselves in the way in a strategy with a tool that has been effective. This isn't surprising to those of us who've walked alongside Hamima for the past six months. She always seems so strong, so switched on. Like, even as she sat in a hospital room in those horrible weeks after the tragedy and before her husband Zechariah passed away, that she's got the whole grieving thing under control. That's what people have said. And if that's their, their, their evaluation of me, I say, Alhamdulillah, you know. Um, it hasn't been easy, of course. But yes, it has helped that um, I have two boys that I have to be strong for. And a lot of people will see that as as trying to cover up or as trying to... But to me, no, this is a duty that I have to carry on. And I see that as a, as a part of my healing... You know, some people just say, oh, she's just, instead of tackling the healing, um, you know, when people make themselves busy, others would say that as, oh, that she's just putting aside the healing and, and just trying to cover up or just trying to work around it. But I don't see it that way. I see it as I still have to go on and I still have to carry on. And it is a good thing that I'm doing this because I have my children's feelings to look after too. And I have my other responsibility, my profession, you know, I have that responsibility as well. Hamima is a speech therapist for a large Singapore health clinic. Things don't go on pause just because I've lost my husband, just because I'm grieving. So it is part of the grieving. It is part of the healing to move on bit by bit in certain aspects of your of your life um, rather than to grieve at work, to grieve at home and to see everyone grieving with you. And then you just, it's just a whole vicious cycle. I've got, I mean, my, my colleagues say the same thing. Hamima, what's happening to you? How come you are so happy and you are so um, functional? To me, I'm thinking, what else can I be other than happy and functional? If, if, if a Muslim believes that um, those who have died in the way of Allah is still alive and that he is with God now in a better place, why are you grieving? <laughs> why are you then grieving? Move on from that grieving and, 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 sh- and, and let the, the, the faith in you shine and lead the way for everybody else close to you and not let them grieve as well. Let them be happy to see that you are intrinsically and sincerely, genuinely happy. Hamima believes that you can be strong and faithful and know that your husband is in a better place at the very same moment that you profoundly, painfully miss him. I do like I'm speaking to you now, and even though I'm happy and I'm, I'm functional in your word, but when I'm speaking about him, I'm still quivering in my voice. But perhaps I'm not as teary or as sad as I was before. But that does not mean that I am 100% happy and fully functional. And every, every time I think of my husband, I don't feel a bit of sadness anymore. And I'm not, I'm not putting down other people, ways of healing. I'm just saying that this is what has worked for me. And yeah, 
some some people will unburden on Facebook, you know, that, if that heals them, great. But I'm just saying that this is my way. I'm not putting down anybody else's way of, of healing. As the months, and now almost a year, pass by, Hamima can remember Zechariah, his charming smile, the way his physical strength gave her and the boys strength too, his sense of humour, without a well of grief surrounding these thoughts. So, how will she keep these memories alive? I take my lead from, from the Prophet's advice, and he's said, you know, peace be upon him, that when a person dies, all his deeds come to an end, except three things. Ongoing charity that he did during his lifetime or that we do on his behalf, beneficial knowledge that he has left behind, a righteous child who will pray for him. So that's, that's my aim, to continue charity on his behalf. On Zechariah's behalf. And when we do things on their behalf, we also earn the reward from it, the pleasure of Allah from it. You know, he has taught my children to read the Quran every weekend. And so I'm continuing it that with them. And I hope to raise righteous children with strong moral compass um, who would live up to the dreams that their father had for them and who always pray for them. In fact, I am very proud to say that my, my son, without being reminded, I can hear him after prayers, praying for his dad every day five times a day. So we don't, we, I, I don't want them to wait for a year or a month to remember their father. But the fact that he remembers to do that every, every time after prayers now, in fact, sometimes for the little one, when he goes to sleep, prayers has always been for his father and for them to meet the father in paradise. This is another Islamic concept that is important to understand. Muslims tend not to make a particular day or make a big fuss about the memory of someone who's passed away. Let's let Jumaya Jones, our religious advisor, explain. Muslims tend not to have memorials or anniversaries of the deceased. We have to remember that as Muslims, we think of ourselves in this world as travellers, and we go through examinations, just like a student going through an examination. So we go through good times, bad times. We have challenges, obstacles and trials. And we just try to jump over and overcome all this. And our main destination is to be with God in the hereafter. In other words, we shouldn't lament those that have already gone to Jannah, to heaven, because that's where we all want to end up. So historically, there were times when there were people who were good, pious people. When they died, some people would make statues of them so that they don't forget. As generation passed, you find that people start sending flowers or praying to the statues. And more, as time goes on, those generations have forgotten who actually that statue was, and they then become a shrine. And people actually go there to ask for things instead of asking from God, the Creator. Anything that we do, we try to make sure that it doesn't interfere with our relationship and our connection with God. But these beliefs don't mean that Muslims can't share stories, photographs, or even videos of the deceased. 
I'm mm. putting together animated PowerPoint with photos and videos of them and their father. Um, this is especially important for the younger one because he has had he has not had um, much opportunity to make memories with his father. So hopefully, with technology, that might help. Charity is also an important part of Islam. In Umar's memory, Niha will make a donation to an orphan in Bangladesh to help buy them food. Some little child who never eat good food. Some Islamic school has poor children. Some children, they have no parents. It's like mother, no father. It's quite a common practice for people who have died and their family try to do charitable acts for them, like feeding the poor, building schools under their names, with the hope that all these blessings and rewards will go to that particular person who have passed on in the afterlife. We're at Memorial Park Cemetery in Christchurch. We have come to visit the graves of the martyrs, the shuhada, with Mahubbo. Sheikh Mose and 40 other shuhada are buried here, in a special area reserved for Muslims. Some of the 51, including Zakaria Tuyan and Omar Farooq, have been returned to their countries of birth. This Islamic area sits in slight contrast to the rest of the large cemetery. It is very simple, no large headstones or monuments, not many flowers or brightly coloured things. Each grave is covered by a mound of dirt. When you look across the surface of the 41 graves, it looks like small waves rippling across the ground. Jumaya is here too. Just imagine you have somebody lying down right there. I mean, the person is six feet under, but just imagine it's as though somebody's lying there, you put all the earth around them. They're similar. Just like when you think about mummies, you know how it's mounted up like that? But of course, the disease is not on top, but it shapes the ground that way. So to remind us that there's somebody lying in there. And the other thing is, unlike the other cemeteries here, our cemeteries, we're not supposed to walk on the grave. We walk around it, but not on top of it. Some of the graves don't have headstones, but more than half of them do. It's kind of eerie seeing these markers engraved, one after the other, all with the same date, March 15, 2019. One of the headstones is Sheikh Morse's. Mahopo quietly walks to his grave and sits on the ground beside it. Her cousin, who she lives with, makes a special prayer. So as a Muslim, when we come to a graveyard, we read this dua in Arabic, which is Assalamu alay ahlil diari min al-mu'minin wal-muslimin wa inna insha'allahu bikum dalahikun, which means peace be upon you, the people of this abode, those in the grave, from among the believers and those who have submitted. And if Allah wills, we will also join you. So when coming to the graveyard and reading this makes you feel like you're not immortal. It's a reminder for us that one day we will be in the ground like the rest of the people here.
A warm February wind blows through the cemetery, surrounded by a grey, unmoving sky. Mahoba is quiet and reflective. And also, Sheikh Musa has said he didn't want it to have a headstone. Because Islamically, we're not supposed to have a headstone. You see in, uh, in Mecca, in Baki, there's no, no headstone. They just put a rock there so that they will remember where to find that particular grave. This goes back to what Jemaya was saying earlier. We're careful not to turn grave sites into a sort of shrine. Mahupa said that someone from the Christchurch City Council rang up about the headstone after the mass burial on March 22nd, 2019. But she really didn't understand what she was agreeing to because of the language barrier. As it turns out, a headstone was made for Sheikh Musa, but she is sure he didn't want one because he was a Sheikh, an Islamic teacher. He would teach people traditional Islamic burial customs, like keeping the gravesite really simple. While the Christchurch City Council did their very best to honor every victim's wishes, the magnitude of burying such a large number of people would have made this difficult. As a family friend who speaks English, I am working with Mahubba to get council consent to have Sheikh Mohsen's headstone removed. When it's time to go, Mahubba says, I feel that he's in paradise. However, we won't. But I feel he's in paradise. Yeah, so the fact that being there and we're celebrating basically the lives of these beautiful people who were took away, you know, and just, I don't know, it's, I think it's going to make me relive all, everything all over again. Although you're never ever over it and you're constantly, every single morning, reminded that you're waking up and they're not there. That's Farah. She's talking about the memorial service that's planned for the first anniversary of the attacks. But still, I feel that it's not going to help me feel better. It's actually going to worsen it way more. So I think not just me, a lot of the widows I know are are very concerned about that day. And, and some actually, in fact, I know that they've took the decision to go out of Christchurch during that specific period of time. You're in pain and you're you're the affected family and you're the families of the victims. And, and then as much as you appreciate the love and, and the support, there's that constant um, reminder and, and that reminder sometimes like the things that happen, I don't want to say it triggers, but instead of helping the wound um, to get better and heal, it actually, it's, it's causing inflammation. With the memorial that is going to be held on the 15th of March, 2020, a lot of the victim families are not happy about memorialization of the death of the 51 victims. But at the same time, being New Zealanders, we understand that other people, other New Zealanders in our nation, they want to have that because that's the way they do things in New Zealand. So we accept that. This is not just us. It's the, the whole of New Zealand. It's everybody who has ever had experience, direct or indirect experience, being with, with, with terrorism and, and things like that. I mean, it's, it's them too. So it's tough because, you know, unlike 
like um, other people where death is something personal to them. But for us, this is entrusted into the public sphere. But um, at the end of, of it all, I think it will be good for everybody to increase of awareness, you know, to foster that understanding of the impact of such I can't, you know, until now, I can't really decide what to call it. Tragedy, heinous attack, atrocity. You know what I mean. Accident. It depends on my mood, um, what word to use. But I, I am hoping that the memorial and for as long as people want to remember what had happened, I'm hoping that it will serve to increase awareness, make it for some people at least, affirm it for them, if that's the word to use. But we need to take this thing seriously. Um, with all of the funding that we have or lack, there's still a lot to be done. So I welcome um, the memorial. Um, I just have to like learn to control my my feelings and my emotions on that day. And you know, um, such is going to be my life from now on. Uh, I can't turn back the clock. Just need to learn to control it, right? Niha suggests going a step further than just one commemoration on March 15th, 2020. You know, we have National Day, we have Queen's Birthday, then we have Labor Day. Why not this 15 months is Memorial Day? Because one person killed the 51 people, one day, in the mosque, in the prayer time. This is the Memorial Day for the Muslim. When every year, this is the Memorial Day, everybody praying for the people. This is not important day for just victim family. This is the important day for the whole Muslim, non-Muslim also. This is the Memorial Day for the Islam. Why not? The anniversary of the March attacks will mean different things for different people. Triggering, reflective, and even an opportunity to celebrate some of the good things that have risen out of this tragedy. But it's hard for Hamima to ignore the darker side of marking this day. Because um, recently we hear about the hate crimes that actually has increased after 15th March or the report about that. Well, we might disagree with the methodology, but just the idea that the hate crimes actually increased after 15th March in New Zealand, not forgetting the copycats that actually happened weeks after it um, in UK and elsewhere. And we've just heard recently um, the 53 that were nabbed in Germany, another potential copycat um, modeling their plans after the Christchurch massacre. I am thankful that the attack was preempted. In the trial of the accused gunman, this is set for June 2nd, 2020, just a couple of months away. Trial, actually, I forget the man. Because <laughs> in the New Zealand's rules as a punishment is just go to the jail and whole life. No kill, so forget it. Sometimes I am thinking I will go to the criminal and see the criminal just one question. Why you do this? And two slap in her face that I'm feeling peace. But I want to see the man, my own eyes. Who is the criminal who killed my husband? I know this is not help for me. I'm just angry, otherwise I'm just crying again. But at the feelings, 
that she's okay. At last, I saw the man. The widow's journeys are far from over. Time will march on, taking Niha, Hamima, Farah, and Muhobbo down paths as different as they are to each other. They will ride the waves of time with their own pace, their own purpose, and our belief that the 51 Shuhada are now in a perfect place forever. I'm Asha Abdi, and this is the series Widows of Shuhada. Our final episode will bring the widows together to reflect on the anniversary and the accused gunman's upcoming trial. Join us for our eighth and final episode. Assalamu alaikum. This series was produced by Community Access Radio Plains FM for RNZ, made possible by the RNZ New Zealand Oni Innovation Fund. Down paths as different as they are to each other. They will ride the waves of time. Did I hear something? Was my stomach again? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, something squeaking. Okay. <laughs> Round the top. Okay. The widow's journeys are. F- okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, got this. Yeah. I wonder if it's the hot water that does something. Maybe something's mm. doing it. Needs a lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, try it again. The widow's journeys are far from over. To our four inspiring widows, Farah, Neha, Muhobbo, and Hamima, you just keep opening up to us month after month. And we hope that the world is full of more compassion and empathy because of what you've shared. Lana Hart wrote and produced the series with support from Nikki Reese, Jumaya Jones, Asma Azar, and me, Asha Abdi. A special thanks to RNZ's Liz Garten, who put her head and her heart into the series, as did Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin at RNZ. And thanks to RNZ's Senior Commissioner, Kay Elmers. Bryony Lastavika, Alex Harmer, Ali Mohammed, Alka Srivanasan, and the wonderful team at Plains FM. We couldn't have done it without you. Janet Gill overcame so many challenges in this project to deliver heartfelt photos. Check them out on the RNZ website. The music is from the Egyptian oud player Hasim Shaheen. You can find the Widows of Shohada podcast on rnz.co.nz, plainsfm.org.nz, or any podcatcher, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. And to the 51 who were lost that day. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. We came from Allah, and to Allah we shall return. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.